Hey, Rob. What's up, Mike? How you doing, buddy? How you doing there, man? I'm all right. I'm all right. Another week is over, man. Still quarantine, still there. <laughs> I know. I know. It's no end in sight, man. Still just doing the same shit. And this, it looked like they might make this shit longer. You heard? No, I didn't hear nothing today. What did you hear? Oh, they talk about maybe July now. Uh, they just—it's fucking ridiculous, man. They, this shit's got to get back to normal, or we're not gonna have a country. <laughs> I mean, it's crazy. You it's know? crazy. It's madness. Yeah, I had a conversation with a complete stranger on the train on the way home, and he totally—he yeah. totally said the same stuff we're saying. Yeah, it's madness. So today we got a very special show, Mike. Yep. And it's the Rock Show episode sixty-six. 66, damn. And who are we talking about? A very special group and a very special man. Yes, uh, we're talking about Mark Bolin, who was the singer, guitar player, songwriter for T-Rex. Uh, T-Rex, to me, is one of the most important rock and roll bands. Uh, they're actually getting some recognition this year. They're getting inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Um, that's part of the reason why I wanted to do this show. But um, for many, many, many years, I've been into this band, and uh, they they really uh, they deserve it to be in there. And also, you know, the the music stands stands alone. It's it speaks for itself. It's great stuff. Now, have you been listening to some lately? Yeah, I've been listening to a few of the songs, man. I was surprised how many hits they had. You know, but you know what? It seemed like they were like um. The way they were, like, they started really, like, acoustic, very low. Yeah. And it's weird that he actually started in that other band, John's whatever. John's Children, yeah. Yeah, and that was almost like a kind of a gay kind of band, almost. Well, I mean, it was a, yeah, it was garage <laughs> garage kind of sounding, you know, mid-60s, Yardbirds, Stones, influence stuff, psychedelic. But but, they, uh, but those guys had no <laughs> yeah no, I mean they only they were only around for a minute you know uh, and it just was the connection with the the manager from the Yardbirds we'll get into all that but uh, I mean Bolin was one of these guys that was just driven from day one all right he oh yeah he he said I'm gonna be a star and there was nothing that was gonna stand in his way you know and 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 guys like that. Uh, Bowie had that quality, you know, uh, you know, some of the best people ever had that quality. And uh, I think I think it's it's an important show we're doing today just to kind of get that word out there about his music, you know. But you know what? They they, they try to call him. I, I never really thought these guys were punk at all. I thought it would definitely no. Graham rock, but they try no. to call them. I was like, no, no, no. Like Godfathers of punk, like that kind of stuff. I mean, it. you know, look, glam rock. Whether it was Mark Bolin or Bowie, Gary Glitter, you know, all that stuff that came in the early 70s that was big in England. All of that was was influential to the punks that came a few years later. So, yeah, I don't have a problem with them saying it's an influence. You know, Bolin had, you know, uh, 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 an attitude, definitely did an attitude you might call a punk attitude. But, yeah. you know, he was also a business guy, too. You know, he was. Oh, yeah. He would, he would do shit just to put fans in the seats, you know? Yeah. And he was also a guy that went to a lot of band members, too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he wasn't an easy guy to work with. 
Yeah, pretty much if you didn't agree with him, guess what? You're out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, so you want to you jump in here? Yeah, Mike, uh, give me a little history. Give me a little All background. Right. All right, well, Mar- Mark Boland, his real name was, he was born Mark Feld, September 30th, 1947, in the Stoke Newington section of London. Kind of came from a blue-collar background. Uh, he was never interested in school. He was expelled from school, actually, at the age of 14. Yeah, he was out of there quick. <laughs> yeah, basically for, uh, you know, not attending. He just didn't give a shit. Yeah. Uh, what he did care about at that age was uh, fashion, clothes, and rock and roll. Um, and by age 15, which would have put it about 1962, he was considered a mod, okay, in that mod style. Uh, and he dressed accordingly that way, okay? Uh, the mods were, uh, you know, it was it was a group of people. It was a movement, and and like the Who, the early Who, were yeah. like a big part of that. They dressed very fashionably. Uh, a lot of button down stuff, button down jackets. Everything was like just so. They used to drive scooters, that kind of thing. If you ever saw the movie Quadrophenia, you'd know about the mods. Um, yeah, you familiar with that, right? Yeah, I'm familiar. They were even talking about this guy that he had a he had a I think he had a what you call it? he had a bike that he never really rode. Yeah, it was just for posing with it. It was just for posing, <laughs> which is fucking great. Yeah, I mean he understood, I think, at a young age about image and how it could be used and, and uh there was even a point I believe where Time magazine had actually taken a picture of him uh as a and this is before he was anybody. Yeah, as, as a kid with as, those as, other guys. As, yeah, like as what was considered like a stereotypical mod. For well, you know, people were curious what's this mod scene going on in the UK, and you know, I think Time did a, a feature on it, and they had a picture of him in the in in, in the magazine. Um, by age seventeen, he was basically hanging around coffee shops. Uh, he thought of himself as a, as a Bob Dylan style folk artist. Okay. He would wear a, you know, a corduroy brimmed hat like like Dylan used to wear. Um, he'd sit around on the sitting on the floor playing his acoustic guitar. Um, you know, he was basically just kind of hanging around. And he met this former child actor named Alan Warren. And Warren had connections with a show called The Five O'Clock Club. Yeah. And this guy Warren, Alan Warren, actually decided to manage Mark. Uh, who was actually not even going by the name Mark Boland yet. He was going by the name Toby Tyler. Yeah, that I find that whole thing weird. Well, you know, I think he just, you know, again, how do you use image in a way to advance you? You know, he was very good at that. And he just took a name, I guess. I don't know how he got the name Toby Tyler, but that's what he was going by. And uh, he, um, what, he, he cut a track in a studio of uh, Bob Dylan's blowing in the wind and it was given to EMI, but e- are you there? Hello? Yeah, I'm here. I'm okay. listening. Yeah. Um, it, it was given to EMI, but they turned it down. They turned it down. So, you know, he was trying to get something going, but it wasn't really working at this point, but you know, he was not going to give up. Now this Dylan track that he did, disappeared for like decades disappeared for like almost 30 years wow it actually turned up 
1991, uh, somebody, I believe, put it up for auction. And it ended up, they somebody bought it and they put it out as like one of Mark Bowen's earliest recordings. Uh, <laughs> um, he did end up signing to Decca Records in 1965. Uh, yeah. At that point, he decided to change his name to, to Mark Bowen. Some people say, you know, where do, how do you get that name? Uh, there's different stories. The one that I kind of tend to believe is he took it, he took kind of like Bob Dylan's name and shortened it. That makes sense. Like the B and the O and the L-A-N, like that. Yeah. You know? I mean, it sounds like a cool name. It sounds like James Bond or something, you know, Mark. Yeah, like it's that. definitely a very cool name. It's definitely a great um, stage name. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Um, it was here that he had recur- uh, started recording again um, with Decca, and he released a song called The Wizard. He was using a, a female trio group as a backup singers on that song, and they were called The Ladybirds. Now, if you were a fan of Benny Hill back in the day, you knew, you knew The Ladybirds because that was like the three girls that were always on the show. That he was chasing around. Yeah, yeah. Jump, yeah, they would sing sometimes. Okay, um, that was released as a single in 1965 in November. Uh, Jimmy Page actually plays guitar on that song, The Wizard. Yeah, session musician at that point, remember? Yep. And um, it was kind of done in a folk style similar to Dylan, or maybe even like what Donovan was doing at that point. And it bombed. The song totally fucking bombed. It didn't chart at all. Um, and then in 1966. Mark, you know, forever being uh, assertive, he showed up at Simon Napier Bell's front door. Now, if you remember our Yardbirds episode, yep. Simon Napier Bell was the manager of the Yardbirds. Yep. And, you know, he, he, he just walked up to his residence. And when he opened the door, he told him, he says, I'm going to be a big star and I need some assistance in arranging that. Okay. So, Bell, Napier Bell, believed him. Was, of course. You know, he was impressed by his tenacity and everything and his, I should say, audacity, really, to just knock on his door like that. And uh, he set up a recording session for, for Mark. And a few simple tracks were recorded. Um, at the time, like I said, Napier Bell was managing the Yardbirds, but he was also managing a band called John's Children. Yeah. He, he considered putting him in that slot for the Yardbirds after Clapton left. Okay. But he decided that they, John's children really needed a songwriter and he liked the way Boland wrote. He thought he was very talented. And they also needed a get, was he like the guitarist for them? Yeah. But he could have been a guitarist in the Yardbirds too. You never know. Yeah. But, uh, a single was written right away for John's children. They needed to, to have a hit. And uh, he wrote the song called Desdemona. Okay. Yeah. And it was an interesting folky kind of song. Um, it got banned by the BBC because it had lyrics that said, lift up your skirt and fly. <laughs> <laughs> so they were not playing it on the radio and it bombed. That was fantastic. Um, yeah. Yeah. John's Children was an interesting band. They didn't last for that long. Um, they did a, a German gig with The Who, and it was such a disaster that the band broke up afterwards. 
I heard so, it went to shit. Like they really made a spectacle of themselves. Yeah, there was some kind of you know big thing. Ha- I don't I don't know exactly what it was. They I've never heard the whole story, but I think they just bombed. Like the, something happened with the audience. And they Dude, just, I think they just lost their shit on the thing. They were trying to outdo the Who's and they just yeah. fucking lost it. <laughs> yeah, you're not gonna outdo the Who. That's for sure. Not that. Nah. I mean, they were breaking their instruments on stage and everything, so you weren't going to beat that. Um, you know, when John's children broke up, he kind of reassessed himself a little bit. He began to write some poetry. Uh, he was interested in writing some short fantasy novels. And he ended up going to Paris briefly, where he started writing some songs that would actually kind of appear later when, when T-Rex was formed. But before T-Rex, you had tyrannosaurus rex okay and in the ashes of john's children of that breaking up um he formed tyrannosaurus rex now it's interesting because when john's you know what's children, funny these two bands were very different very very different very different absolutely um when john's children broke up they everybody lost their equipment it was all repossessed okay by whoever you know they owed bills to and so he really didn't have any electrical equipment. There was, there was no electric guitars. So he started this acoustic band. Uh, it was going to be guitarist Ben Cartland, drummer Steve Took, and him. Okay. Yeah. And uh, But what he did was, and it was a typical bowling kind of move, is he actually booked the gig for the first Tyrannos- Tyrannosaurus Rex show before he had the band together. <laughs> who does that right psycho psycho yeah yeah no i mean you gotta have uh you know uh, you gotta be an arrogant son of a bitch really to, to try to pull that off okay you don't even have a band yet but you're just telling people yeah we're, we're gonna play this day so what he was doing is he got the gig at a place called the electric garden and then he put an ad out in melody maker all right and just to get the musicians so he got Ben Cartland and drummer Steve Cook, but the paper came out the day of the gig. So he was actually auditioning and interviewing these guys about three o'clock in the afternoon, and the gig was at like five. <laughs> <laughs> they had no songs, they had nothing. Okay. So it just it turned out to be a disaster. And uh Cartland left after that gig, and uh Boland decided that he was just gonna keep it this like simple acoustic band with just him and Steve Took. Yeah. And Steve Steve Took was playing like hand percussions like bongos and congas and stuff like that. Okay. Yeah, and this um, guy was performing on his knees. He would be sitting down yeah. playing the guitar. Right. Yeah, yeah. Bowling would be cross legged on the stage. They would just be sitting down and playing. And uh you know it it it, it was definitely of its time. I mean it was a hippie kind of thing. Very but, hippie. Yeah, but you know, I don't know if you had a chance to like listen to any of that Tyrannosaurus Rex stuff, but I find it very interesting. Like, even though it's hippie-ish and a lot of that stuff I don't like, it still has like these this interesting quality of, of songwriting in it where he's you know, he's talking about like elves and wizards and stuff like that. Dude, but the guy you know? the guy was like a you know what that that he was like almost like a rapper, like he was putting words that's sounded good together they, they might not make yeah. sense but they sounded right. good together right right like he he would just put words together that 
he didn't even know what it meant. Like they, yeah. they had one, they had one song called Salamander Palaganda. Yeah. <laughs> like, what is that? What, right? is that? <laughs> what is that? Right. But they would make four albums and they would release four singles with those four albums. They did well in the charts. Okay. Um, some stuff even got to like number 15. So you're talking top 20. Yeah. Um, but they, they, they didn't sell a lot, but they, they did manage to be in the charts a little bit. Um, but Mike, the, the, if I'm if I write all this stuff was acoustic, right? Oh yeah, just acoustic, just the two of them, just the two of them. Okay, and and you know if you listen to that stuff, it sounds very full. It sounds like he's got more people in the band than that. So you know when you listen to Tyrannosaurus Rex, they almost well, it's not a great comparison, but as far as like a, a small band sounding bigger. Like the white stripes are like that to me. Yeah, okay? white stripes are definitely so, there. White stripes were, were just two people in the band, uh, you know, a drummer and a guitar player, just like, but they were electric. But they always sounded like, you know, a five-piece band. Yeah. Okay. And and Tyrannosaurus Rex was was like that. It was minimalistic, but it was a a full a full sound that he had. Um, you know, basically the lyrics to me is is what you're listening to. It was all kind of like. Bowler's poetry, and he was into like you know Tolkien and and Lord of the Rings kind of stuff, and he would even kind of like talk about how he was like an elf in another life, okay? Or he would talk about being a wizard in another life. But he wasn't that uh, tall, right? No, he was a little guy. He was a little five, guy, yeah. Five, so five, I can see four. that. Yeah, yeah. You know, and he was kind of effeminate a little bit, and you know, he didn't. He had a soft-spoken voice. But the, the names of the albums are, the first one is, My People Were Fair and Had Sky in Their Hair, But Now They're Content to Wear Stars on Their Brows. Wow. That was that's a mouthful. Yeah. 1968, that came out. Same year, you had Prophets, Seers, and Sages, The Angels of the Ages. That was also in 68. Uh, Unicorn came out in 69. And then Beard of Stars came out in 1970. Um, the DJ... Uh, the, the British DJ John Peel, yeah, be a big supporter. He loved them. He would play their yeah, stuff. Yeah, he did. He would play that stuff on his on his BBC radio show. Uh, even sometimes so much that his fans would get pissed off. That you're playing them too much. But but he 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 really liked that band. They would do an American tour in 1968, and took the drummer would be fired after a serious drug bust. Okay, but some say. It really wasn't the drug bust that got him, you know, fired from the band. It was the fact that after, like, you know, a year or two in the band, he wanted to have some of his own songs get recorded. Oh, yeah. Bolin was like, nope, that's not happening. Yeah, pretty much he did that a few times. Yeah, yeah. So, actually, uh, he would be on um, the first two albums, and then the third album, Unicorn, was Steve Took. And then a beard of stars would be uh, Mickey Finn. They would get Mickey, uh, Bowling would get a guy named Mickey Finn um, for that album. And he, uh, Finn, Finn was a, a decent percussionist. I think Took was a little bit better. Okay. But what, what Bowling and Bowling liked about Finn is Finn just kind of went along with the game. Because if you're going to be in a band with Mark Bowling, there's only room for like, you know, one star. Yeah. That's him. 
know, he's the star. Um, everybody else is the backup singer. <laughs> that that was that kind of was his attitude, and and then later on, you know, with T Rex, that would he'd get into trouble with that, you know. Um, Bolin at that point when Beard of Stars was getting recorded, he decided to bring some electric uh, guitar into the band. Yeah, and he had bought a white Fender Stratocaster and was kind of letting this guitar creep into some of the acoustic shows. Now, some of the diehard Tyrannosaurus Rex fans didn't like that. They saw it as a sellout. But uh, he didn't give a shit. He, he, had, he made a song called Elemental Child, and it had like a long Jimi Hendrix-style electric guitar solo at the end. And uh, it's actually the last song on Beard of Stars. Great tune. Um, it was at this point in, in like 69, 70, where he got involved with a woman named June Ellen Child. Yeah. And uh, they, they would be married in January of 1970. She was the former secretary to the manager of Sid Barrett from Pink Floyd. Okay. Sid Barrett was the original singer of Pink Floyd. And, you know, she was, she used to be the secretary to the manager to him. Uh, she would be very influential in getting Mark's career booming at this point. Uh, she's credited in getting him to wear some like very cool clothes and dressing a certain way, which would attract attention. Um, he wrote a song at this time called Ride a White Swan. What a name. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Ride a White Swan. Catchy song. Yeah. Okay, it's just got like this hand clapping backbeat. It's got Finn's percussion on it, his hand percussion on the congas and everything. At that point, he was uh, involved also with Tony Visconti as a producer. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and it was also around this time that they would shorten the name of the band from Tyrannosaurus Rex to T-Rex. Okay. But it wasn't going to be a two-piece anymore. Okay. He was going to get an actual band. When Rider White Swan came out, I believe it was done as a two-piece, I believe, okay? Um, it actually peaked in early 1971 at number two in the U.K. Yeah, it got, so it was that's his so first, far. Yeah, it was his first big, big hit. Uh, and also what happened that year is June Child often would wear glitter on her face with makeup. And one day before a photo session that Mark was doing, he saw some of the glitter on her table and he just put some on. And, you know, everybody kind of believes that that was when glam rock was born. Okay. Uh, that was the first time a, a guy had really, you know, put on that kind of makeup. And Bowie at that time, Okay, was on his way up as well. Yeah, and they they were they were they were friends. They were associated. They were rivals, but they were also friends with each other. They shared the same manager, a guy named Les Khan. Yep, and Tony Tony Visconti was also working with Bowie, and Bolin actually plays on an early Bowie single from 1970 called "The Prettiest Star." Yep, but Bolin actually plays guitar on that. So it's you know you have this connection with these two people on the rise. Um, T Rex now featured a bass player named Steve Curry. Yep. Okay. And a drummer named Bill Legend. But pretty and, much, and Mark gave that guy his last name was not his name. 
What was? Yeah, it wasn't legend. It was a funny name. He's like, no, nah, you can't use yeah. that. I, I, yeah, I forget what it was, you know. But it was like, no, nah, now nah, your name is legend. He's like, okay. So, uh, Mickey Finn was was still around doing the percussions. They wrote a track called Hot Love. That's a great song. It is. It is. That would go to number one for about six weeks. Yeah. Okay. And the T-Rex, you know, first album. Okay. There's some great songs on it. It's just called T-Rex. It came out, I believe, in June 1970 or so. Had a song called One Inch Rock, which was cool. Uh, Seagull Woman. It had Hot Love on it. I think Ride a White Swan was not on it. It was just a single that came out. But uh, there's a lot of good tracks on that first one. You were starting to hear, you know, where he was going with yeah, this. Because it was all, it was, it was electric. Hot Love was originally released as a single, and then they put it in as, They stuck it on the, on album. the album, yeah. Yeah, they, they did, because it was a number one hit. So they, they, threw, it, they threw it on there. Um, so, Mike, let me ask you a quick question. At this point, these guys were bigger than the Beatles in the UK, right? Almost. We're almost there. Okay, we're about a year away. Um, you know, at this point, uh, you know, Hot Love was huge. There was this like burgeoning glam rock sound that was starting in England at that time. You had Bowie kind of percolating underneath it behind Mark Boland. Okay. Uh, but Boland was pushing forward and, uh, he would, he would come up with, you know, right now the, the, the one song that everybody knows and that's get it on bang a gong. Okay, uh, in the United States, the song will be called Bang a Gong because there was already another song by another band called Get It On. Get It On, yeah, yeah. But in England, the song was called Get It On, yeah. And it got it got to number ten in the United States in early '72. Okay, and it went to one number one in in England. It turns out that that's really the only top forty single ever by T Rex in the United States. They would have some, you know, albums that did okay and another single or two that that cracked like the top 100. But that's about but most it. of the success was pretty much in Europe. Almost, almost in all the of UK. It was, um, yeah. Let me answer another another question. When he uh, went into this um, electric kind of sound, a lot of people were branding him like, a, especially the, his whole hippie fan. They were branding him as a yeah. sellout. Yeah, well, right. Tyrannosaurus Rex was known as this acoustic band. Okay, they they were they were playing uh, to large audiences. I, there's a, there's a story that Billy Idol likes to tell. Okay, where he must have been about maybe 15 years old or 16 years old, and he went to a show where Tyrannosaurus Rex was playing in Hyde Park in England, and it was part of a like a two or three day hippie festival you know like festival of some kind yeah and tyrannosaurus rex was one of the headliners and it was right at that time when like beard of stars was coming out and you know he, they were starting to turn electric a little bit so you're talking like 69 ish around then and they come out and he's got an electric guitar and people start booing him okay wow and billy idol tells the story like he was with his friends and they were all looking at each other like, well, what's he going to do? He's getting booed. And he just he says that Bolin went up to the microphone and said, fuck you. And everybody the whole, stopped. The whole audience and everybody 
and everybody just fell into place and just listened. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's great. You know, I mean, you know, you're there to fucking perform, you know, and you're getting booed like that, you know. But I think by the time Get It On came out, uh, because they, they, they released the Electric Warrior album in September of 71. That's a great album. And, oh, yeah, the whole thing is great. Uh, Get It On is on there, of course. They were on Fly Records in the UK, but they were on Reprise in the United States. Now, Reprise is Sinatra's old label. Yeah. I don't know. A lot, a lot of people don't know that, but uh, but they had a lot of rock bands and stuff on their label, too. Um, it, it would get to, the album would get to number 11 in the UK. I'm sorry, number one in the UK. And it would get to number 32 in the United States. You had tracks like Mambo Sun, uh, Planet Queen, Cosmic Dancer, Girl, Life's a Gas, Rip Off, Jeepster. Okay. Jeepster's Jeepster another was, great song. That's that's a great song. Uh it was it was released as a second single on that album in November of seventy one. Uh but it it was released without his permission as a single. And it did it did well, but he didn't want it released as a single for some reason. And it ended up going to number two. But Boland was like enraged about the whole thing, and he bolted from the Fly label. There was like a, a loophole in the contract; he was able to get out of it, and he signed up with EMI right away. So in July 1972, he would put out his first album on EMI, and to me, this is the T Rex masterpiece. It's called the Slider. The Slider is another yeah. fucking fantastic yeah. album. Yeah, I mean those two albums back to back are just phenomenal. But for me personally, my personal opinion, I like the slider just a little bit more. Uh, first of all, it's got that iconic album cover, okay, which I'll get into in a minute. But the two singles that were released off it, Telegram Sam and Metal Guru, Shit. would both go to number one in the UK. All right. And Tony Visconti, again, was brought in. He did Electric Warrior. He did this. Um, and... The album cover, like I said, was iconic. It was actually, you know, there's some controversy as to who actually shot that picture, who took that picture. Okay, the picture I'm talking about is Bolin with the big top hat on. Yeah. Okay. Everybody, I mean, I think when people, even in the States, if they think of T-Rex, they think of that album cover. Okay, because he had that big hat on. And uh, some people say that Ringo Starr took that picture from the Beatles, Ringo Starr, uh, because he was working with Bolin on a movie called Born to Boogie. Yeah, I was just going to tell you, and that movie also had Elton John was in it, too. Yeah, uh, Elton John, a few other people. Yeah, um, yeah I mean, it, it was a, I have it at home on DVD. It's a great little short. It's short. It's like maybe like an hour long. OK, Uh there's there's some great live footage of them playing in front of a huge audience. Um, and, you know, going back to what you were mentioning before about the Beatles and them being as big as the Beatles, by the time Electric Warrior came out and going into the slider, they were the biggest thing in England since the Beatles. Yeah, they were calling them T-Rex 60, something like that. <laughs> yeah, like instead of Beatlemania, right, they had T-Rex to Yeah. <laughs> Okay, and that you know, the the, the word T Rex to see would be all over the newspapers. 
Every day there were articles about Mark Bolin in the papers. You couldn't get away from him. His music was all over the place. He's having number one hits, uh, top ten hits. And audiences were just going apeshit. Okay? And it, it wasn't just a girl thing. Okay? Now, the girls, supposedly, it was like the Beatles. They were screaming so loud you couldn't hear the band. Okay? Wow. But, but you know, but the guys liked Mark Bolin because there was something just cool about him. And they wanted to be him. And the girls just wanted to sleep with him, you know. Dude, the guy was so, like a wizard or something. He was like a little icon. Like he came out and did it shit, and he was very likable. Yeah. yeah, I mean, he just right. You 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 liked him. He had like uh, this attitude about himself, and you know, he he wasn't the you know Jimi Hendrix style guitar player, really. You know, but he played a good guitar, and uh, he was a good songwriter, very talented, and. Uh, but, you know, the, 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 the girls were going crazy. It was almost like the Beatles again. Yeah. Yeah. So um, now, like I said, supposedly Ringo Starr shot that picture. Okay. But now Tony Visconti, however, says he took the picture. Okay. That it was at a time when, like, Ringo wasn't around and Mark said there's some film left in this camera. Take it. And... uh you know, he, he he did it. So who knows who shot that picture? But the uh, the album would go to number four in the UK, and it would make number seventeen in the USA. So it actually, it the 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 singles off that album. <coughs> excuse me, the singles off that album didn't start in the United States, but the album did. But the album did, and it did better than Electric Warrior. You know what's funny? A lot of and, albums do that. It's single that they stink, yeah. but then when the album come out, the album always does to do better than some of the singles. Well, I think what happened was um, it kind of came out quickly after Electric Warrior. It was less than a year later. So you had Bang a Gong climbing the charts in the United States, and then this came out not too long after that. So I think it kind of helped, you know, carry the success of that. There was a commercial also that was shot and it was shown in the United States whenever they were promoting this uh, this album here in the States. They would show them performing the song Chariot Chubble. OK, um, that helped kind of push the album along this like little promo clip that was all over TV. Um there was a track called Children of the Revolution. Yeah. And then a track called Solid Gold Easy Action that would be released as singles after the slider came out. Those two songs are not on the slider. Okay. But they would each get to number two. And then in March of 72, uh, that was the show at Wembley Theater, uh, Wembley Arena, I should say, um, where they used, uh, they used that footage in the movie um, – Born to Boogie that Ringo Starr was directing. Okay. So it was cool that, you know, they, they, they there was this T-Rex to see uh, thing going on where they were as big as the Beatles. And then you actually had a real Beatle working with Bolin making this movie, you know? So it was a cool connect, you know, cool connection. At that point, though, the band was actually selling 100,000 records a day. That's how big they were. 100,000 records. Supposedly, a day. these guys saw like, Close to sixty million albums, dude. 
altogether. Yeah, yeah easily. That's that's a lot for, the, for a band that was only together for a few years. Yeah, well, this yeah. is I mean, this it, is T Rex. We're not talking about the This is just T Rex himself. We're not talking about Tyrannosaurus Rex. We're talking about just yeah. T Rex, which was really, you know, the original group was really only around for about four years. Okay, if that. But they 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 sold like you say sixty million records. Um, but with all that, they still hadn't cracked the United States. And I think that, you know, any any British musician, that's what they want to do. All right. So late in 72, they did a U.S. tour, but it just for some reason, it, it wouldn't it wouldn't break in the United States. The glam thing was big on the on the East Coast and the West Coast. You had New York, you had L.A. Okay, and really, those were the only two places that the glam rock phenomenon took any hold in the United States. And anywhere he played in the middle, he didn't he didn't connect. He didn't connect, Um, which I don't understand why, because I think he he didn't sit there and say, I'm playing glam. rock." No, you know, he just called it rock and roll. The, The word was just thrown on him. He didn't he didn't invent it or want to be called it. But. It just didn't uh, didn't connect in the middle, you know. Places in the Midwest, they didn't grab onto T Rex until much later. Really, it was after he was gone that that people began to. You know listen. what? But, the Midwest audience is very different, you know. Yeah, well, um, he 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 was he would wear. There was a, a tour where he the T Rex opened up the Three Dog Night. Yeah. Okay. Now just think of that combination. That's not good. Okay. Yeah. What kind of audience you're gonna have in Three Dog Night? It's gonna be like long hair, hippie, mustaches, you know, that kind of shit. Okay. And then T Rex would open for them and he would wear like, you know, a yellow it looked like a chicken. <laughs> okay. And you know, the guys in Three Dog Night used to make fun of him. They'd break his balls for wearing that. So even the other bands didn't like didn't like him, you know. Dude, but, let me tell you, the guy also tour had a tour with the Dam, which I think that would be such a weird yes. T Rex and the Dam. That's, those are like two very different groups. That's that was towards the end of of his of his career, and and we're gonna talk about that. But we're still dealing with like seventy two, seventy three. T Rex is huge in England, but they're just not making it in the state. In late 72, they did a tour, okay, and they came back from the States to, to England. They began recording a new album that would be called Tanks. And it, with this album, he was interested in kind of changing the T-Rex sound a little bit, making it a little bit more soulful. Yeah. He brought in some back uh, backup singers. Uh, there was a track called Left Hand Look yep. that, they, uh, and, uh, that he had backup singers on and um, there was a saxophonist brought yeah. in for a track called The Street and Babe Shadow. Uh, that album came out in January 73. Now, it didn't have a hit single off it, but the album would actually get to number four in the UK. But it, it but to, just to show what was going on, it only got to 102 wow. in the United States. Okay, so it was at this point he was kind of resigned to the idea of not making it in the States. You know, when something like that happens, you know you're not going to make it. 
But, but this is pretty no, much no. um the last uh, that this album is pretty much the last um, album with the classic T Rex lineup, right? Yeah, yeah, there would be some changes. What the hell happened, Mike? Okay. <laughs> well, you know, uh, things I've read about Mark, uh, you know, he was not easy to work with. Okay, very arrogant, kind of treated people sometimes. Uh, very disrespectfully, people in the band, people with the producers, Tony Visconti, uh, they loved him, but they hated him, you know, because he could get really uppity, you know, really kind of stuck up. And uh, he he ran the show. And if anybody tried to take that away from him, he fought yeah, back. Yeah, he definitely fought back. Yeah, yeah. Um, even though Tanks didn't have a uh, an actual hit single off it, there was a non-album track called 20th Century Boy and a track called The Groover that got to number three and four in the UK. Now, 20th Century Boy is like a quintessential fucking yeah. T-Rex song. That is just, it's a perfect yeah. song. It's been, it's been covered by a lot of people. Um, God, uh, there was a band in the, in the early 80s called Girl yeah. School that did a really good cover of that His song. His kid just did a uh, remake but, of the song. His kid. Who? Oh yeah, 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 Roland, yeah, right, yeah, yeah. That's true. That's true. I mean, it's one of the most famous T Rex yeah. songs. It's not on any album. It's just yeah. a single. Okay, uh, but in late '73, trouble was you know brewing in the band. Uh, legend left. Okay, bass player, uh, and uh, he relied on kind of like studio musicians after that. And uh, he brought in a second guitarist named Jack Green. Yeah. Okay. And he was trying to build up this new sound he was creating. It was at this point that he met singer Gloria. Yeah, Joe. that changed him. And yeah, he added her in on keyboards and backing vocals. Now, Gloria Jones had a career on her own. She was part of Motown. Yep. Okay. And she did the original Tainted yep. Love. Okay. Great song. Uh, her version of it is very good. Uh, so... You know, he had brought in some other backup singers in the past, but now he brought up this, you know, black backup singer chick, okay, to play keyboards and do the backing vocals. Um, it was during this period that he spent a lot of time in the United States. Uh, he was a bit of a tax exile. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Bolin uh, had done a lot of things financially that could be considered questionable. <laughs> uh, he. he he did a lot of things to try to like shelter his money from the from the tax man in England, and uh, after he passed away, there was to this day there's still a lot of you know wrangling, and you know he had a lot of his money in trusts, and even his kid couldn't get to it, and his wife couldn't get to his money, and they only only recently in the last few years has some of that stuff been settled, and and they were able to get to some of that money that he had because. He would just live on whatever, you know, he had, which was plenty. You know, he was a millionaire. But when it came to, like, the big bulk of the money from the, the, the all the record sales, the 60 million records that you just said, a lot of that was done putting trust in overseas accounts. And when you do that, it tends to not be in your hands. Yeah, it's like a red, red like a little bit of a red flag. Kind of, yeah. And and a lot of this stuff, like, you know, Gloria Jones wasn't involved. You know, uh, you know we're going to talk about their relationship in a second. But, uh, 
you know, she was she was with him and she couldn't get to any of it, you know, and she needed it after he died. But uh, during the time he was, st- he was spending some time in the States, he had put a lot of weight on and he was drinking excessively and he began to have an affair with Gloria Jones and he was still married. Yeah, and she was actually very good okay. to him. She kept him focused on June, you know. Well, well, June was good. Yeah, I'd say too. June was very okay. good to him. I'm saying June was like the one yes. that yes. pretty much kept him in line for a long time. Yeah, and and she was influential in 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 creating his image. Okay, and which was, let me you know, ask you another: What was his fascination with Elvis? Oh well, I think just from growing up, you know, at that time as a you know as a teenager and stuff. You know, he loved Elvis. He uh, he he wanted to be an icon, yeah, like Elvis. Could he you compare know? himself a uh, lot to Elvis, and especially in those documentaries, there's a lot of talk of Elvis. Yeah, well, I mean, the '50s rock and roll guys like Elvis, Little Richard, Jerry Lee Lewis, uh, you know, stuff like that. They were very, you know, to, to the guys that came in that era where Mark was playing, they were very influential. So yeah, you would you would say if you were a Mark Boland guy, you would say, all right, well, I love Elvis, man. His music was everything. All you right, know? let me bring you. Let me bring you to a little controversy here. Do you okay. think he stole some um, some of the beats from other musician? Because he was accused from stealing beats from other songs and other stuff, and he would he would he was the kind of I don't know if it was outright. There's a, there was a what was it uh, from Howling, Howling Wolf, Wolf? Right? What was the uh, what was the track? Uh, Jeep, yeah. Jeepster, yeah. Like, the, the way Jeepster sounds, it's like dun 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 like that. And it there is a Howling Wolf song that sounds like that. Okay, and then um, they were talking about he kind of copied David Bowie, the Rising Force, Stevie Zarczak, and the. Yeah, well, he was definitely looking at Bowie as a rival. Okay, and at 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 a point in '73, Bo, Bowie eclipsed him. He, he, you know, T Rex was like dying out. Oh yeah, because they took out three and, albums and, that and were pretty what, much almost the same. Yeah, they were same kind of sound, and and yeah, okay, the chicks still liked to go to the shows. They were screaming, but the record sales were down, and Bowie came out with Ziggy Stardust and just blew it open and eclipsed that it. That was right a great then. album. Yeah, and I and and I think that I'll say this, I think the the few the couple of final albums uh from T-Rex um I think he was trying to do Bowie in some ways, do some of the things that Bowie was doing like that, you know, by 75 Bowie had stopped doing the uh the glam thing and he was doing like young yep. americans okay and if you listen to some of that t-rex stuff from 74 75 it, it has almost like you know that similar sound where he was bringing saxophones in and backup singers and stuff like that he was doing a, a soulful thing a little bit different than what bowie was doing i think a little bit like cheesier in a way than what Bo, than what Bowie was doing. But I, I like some of it. Um uh in seventy four in seventy four there was an album called Zinc Alloy and the Hidden Riders of Tomorrow. Yeah. Okay. And it, this was the album that he, they really changed the sound. Okay. Gloria Jones is on keyboards, backing vocals. Uh there would be 
tracks like um, uh, Light of Love would be one that would be coming up around that time, okay, that had like this like big background vocal kind of thing, soulful. Um, he, he was, you know, just changing the sound and some of the, the, the fans didn't like it. So it really, he lost a lot of the fan base. Yeah, but he was also introducing like a weird kind of RB um, R&B sound too. Yeah, well, that's what I mean when I yeah. say soulful. I mean, he had like an R&B kind of influence there, Motown, uh, 60s yeah. girl group. But that, listen, I'll be honest with you, that came from Gloria Jones. She had to be, you know, influencing him with this. And I do like, I have, I have every T-Rex album, okay? And I do like that period, okay? It's just different. It's just different than, than the rest. Uh, he, he would do a... They did a cover of the Phil Spector produced. Uh, it was originally by a band called the Teddy Bears. A song called "To Know Him Is to Love Him," okay. And uh, she, they do it as a duet, like him and Gloria Jones, you know. And it was at that point that everybody knew that these people, these two, were together. All right. So it, that was around seventy-five. Now Finn would leave the band at that point, okay. He wouldn't be working anymore with Mark. And uh, he also lost Tony Visconti, too. Tony Visconti didn't want to work with him anymore. He actually wrote, like, a letter of uh, resignation. Wow. Okay. And uh, Bolin never even acknowledged it. He just, when the next record came out, people were like, where's Tony? He's like, oh, he's not with us anymore. That's it. You know? Um, and in 75, his marriage to Julie would would uh, would end. Okay. Uh, you know, he had this ongoing affair with Gloria Jones that he was kind of flaunting. Okay. She knew about it. All right. And, uh, it, you know, and Gloria Jones was married too. She, she broke up. Yeah. Crazy, man. Sometimes these things happen, man. You know, uh, in September of 75, Gloria Jones would give birth to their son, Roland Bolin. Okay. Uh, and, he was trying to kind of give some resurgence to his career at that point. All right. And uh, he, he was a, a new father. He was very into that. Okay. But he also wanted to get his career up and going again and doing whatever he had to do. So he would do different things. He, he ended up on this like teeny teenage pop show called yeah. supersonic. And he released some singles around that time that didn't really do well. Um, 74's album Light of Love, 75's Boland's Zip Gun, and 1976's Futuristic Dragon all flopped. Okay? But there's some good songs on that album. Like I said, Light of Love is is one. Uh, there's another track called yep. New York City, which is pretty cool. Um, and, and on that Supersonic show, he would do these like almost like <laughs> cheesy little promo clips like they do uh, a version of Ride a White Swan, and he's riding this giant white white. It was swan. giant, man, with feathers and everything. It was gigantic. He's like sitting in it. It was like a, it was like a car. It was like gigantic. Yeah, like a big float. Um, now Curry left the band in '76, and he was the last of the original band members from the yeah. T Rex to see days. Okay, to leave. Uh, early '77, he got a new band together, and he recorded an album called. Dandy yeah. in the Underworld. Now, this album, again, 
I, 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 I have to say just my opinion. Out of the later stuff, and this would be really his last real album, I think it's his best. Okay, it was critically stuff, acclaimed, probably, man. People loved it. Yes, it was. It was. Uh, it, it brought him back a little bit. He had some songs that were reminiscent of the earlier days. He got rid of a little bit of that R and B, but yeah. not all the way. Okay, so it was kind of like it was kind of like a merging of the two, and. You got to remember in, in in 76 now, 77, what's the biggest punk rock, thing in yeah. punk rock, right? So what he did was, and it was, a, it was a great business move. It didn't even matter what he thought about the band, but he picked up the Damned yeah. to open for him on a, on a UK tour. And what it did was it kind of opened the door to his music to some younger fans that really were too young to see you know, Electric Warrior and Slider Days in 71 and 72. This was 77. Five years is a big yeah. difference in music, okay? You can get, like, a whole new generation. And uh, the Damned were very well respected and uh, in the punk scene. And to have them open for him was, was a big deal. So it kind of, like, helped his legacy a little bit in the end of his life. And he would get known as the godfather of punk because yes. he did that. Um, now, one other thing that kind of uh, helped his legacy, too, definitely did, was in the middle of 77, he got a TV I show I was just going to ask you about the TV show, Mark. What do you think of that? I think it's great. I've seen, uh, I don't think I've seen every episode. It was six shows, okay? I've seen probably about at least three or four of them. And uh, they're kind of hard to find. Uh, they, but over the years, I've people I've known have had, like, video of them and stuff. Uh, it was it was yeah. kind of a variety show. Like, he would – he would bands would come on. He'd have, like, a new band. And then he would have an older band. Yeah, he, he had um, he okay. had a very young Billy Idol with uh, the Generation X. And yes. he looked like a child. <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, I mean, that was when uh, the first Generation X album came out. Um, and, uh, they ended up being, um, brought on the, the Mark show. And when he introduced them, uh, Mark said, well, um, he said, uh, there's a guy in this band that's supposed to be as pretty as I am. Well, we'll see. Okay. And you know, that all of a sudden generation X came out and, and did, uh, I don't know if it was ready, steady, go or your generation. Well, I think it was your generation. And, uh, that was that. Billy Idol will always say like that performance on the Mark show yeah. sparked their career. A lot of people, a lot of people saw it. So he owed a lot to, to Boland for having him on. What else you had to notice with these shows too, is that Boland was yeah. looking good. Okay. Uh, he lost a lot of the weight that he had put on. He looked like his old self. Uh, he grew his hair again. Yeah. He had cut it short a little bit for a while and he grew it back. So he had the long curly locks again. Uh, like I said, he lost the weight, um, and uh, you know it, it was it was a six part series. The sixth one would be shown, I think, after he had died, and well, it was and what a crazy old man! He fell off the stage and he even sang the new song. Yeah. <laughs> they were the end of the show. It had run a little long, and they were kind of rushing to to get a song in. And it was going to be the new song by Bowie Heroes. Okay. And just as they're playing it, 
uh, Boland's about to sing, and he trips and falls yeah. off the stage. <laughs> and like you say, people people saw it, you know, as a bad omen yeah. of what was to come, you know. And it's very sad because uh, what was to come would be his death. Um, September 16th, 1977, okay, he was in his uh, mini with Gloria driving, and they were heading home from a party near the barn section southwest of London, and she lost control, okay, of the car, and they hit a tree, and she broke uh, her arm and her jaw, but he was killed instantly. That's crazy. Sad hey, you know what? It was two Sad weeks ending. before his uh, 30th birthday. Right. He was almost 30. Uh, he always had yep. a fear of cars, okay? He owned plenty of them, but he never drove them. And ironically, a lot of his music is has cars in the lyrics. All right. There's a song called Buick McCain. Okay. Uh, other songs, you know, Girl, You Like a Car. You know, he would compare women to cars. Okay. In his lyrics. So, you know, and there was even a point, I think, in the in the 60s where he had prophesied. He did. He said he would die like in a meaningful, but he really he predicted that. Yeah. Yeah, he did. Now, they had a big funeral for him. Uh, Bowie attended. Rod Stewart was there. Tony Visconti was there. It was a you know a lot of celebrities. Uh, he would be cremated, and but they would have a giant swan floral display outside the services. It was you know representing the Ride a White Swan song. Since then, the crash site in Barnes, okay, outside of London, is a is a uh, it's like a, a shrine. You can go pa- past there anytime. And there's still to this day tons of people bring pictures, candles, crosses, things like that. Wow. To, you know, commemorate him. Yeah. So, what'd you I'm think? I'm definitely you a fan, fan man. You, you know what's funny? All these guys okay. uh, later on in life had weird death. Like Steve Took dies from fucking Chuck on the cherry, <laughs> yes. cherry cocktail. Yeah. On a, on pit, a cherry, yeah, that's crazy, a man. Something like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think Mickey. Yeah, he Smith died from um, liver and uh, kidney failure. Yeah, yeah. I think he he had a lot of issues. I think drug substance abuse problems. So, Mike, like that, I, think. I got a minute for uh, you to uh, wrap this thing yeah. up. So, what do we have? Okay. Um. Well, one thing I want to mention is I'd like to dedicate today's show to Alan Merrill. Alan Merrill was uh, the guitar player, New York guy. He was in a band called The Arrows, and he wrote the song "I Love Rock and Roll," that that wow. Joe Jet made popular. But yeah, The Arrows originally did it. Check it out on YouTube. Alan Merrill passed away uh, last week from the coronavirus. Wow. So very sad. Very sad. We've lost a few people. Um, you know, a few celebrities, few musicians, actors, stuff like that. Um, and also the family yeah. Wayne guy, right? Stacy's mom. Stacy's mom, know, yeah, Adam something, uh, whatever it was. Yeah. Yeah. Schlesinger, right? Something like that. Yeah, he passed away. So we're in tough times here, man. But uh good show. Yeah, man. we'll be and back we'll be and back the next show it. is uh what Paul Paul Revere and the Raiders. Paul Revere and the so Raiders. Mike, remember, don't get drunk, get lumped up. Don't get drunk. See you next get week. Lumped up. Take care.